Hey, Downtown Church, and welcome to 7-Minute Sunday School. We're going to be talking about Exodus 1 this week. You know, the Old Testament tells this story of God's relentless commitment to live in his good creation, his good world that he's made, alongside people who he has made in his image and through whom he desires to co-rule this good world. God relentlessly demonstrates this commitment in the Old Testament to live in this creation himself alongside his human image bearers through whom he wants to co-rule this good world. But Genesis tells us that God's people very quickly reject this assignment. They don't want to live alongside God under his rule and in line with his purposes. Adam and Eve reject that. And so Genesis 1 through 11 tells us, or excuse me, Genesis 3 through 11 tells us of this downward spiral of human sin as people again and again reject God's good purposes. And yet in Genesis 12, God shows us that he's not going to give up on this plan. Instead, he's going to put the plan back on track in the most surprising of ways by choosing a new family, Abraham and Sarah, through whom he will create a nation, through whom he will bless the world. And so Genesis 12 tells the story of Abraham and Sarah's family on their way to becoming the people of Israel, through whom God has said he will bless the world and get back on track his plan to dwell in his good creation alongside his human image bearers, through whom he wants to rule the world. At the end of Genesis, this family is still just a family. And they've found their way down into Egypt. And in the book of Exodus, we discover, though, that this family is becoming bigger and bigger. They are growing like crazy. The text tells us again and again that the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. And so if we begin Exodus, having read Genesis, we know this looks like God's promises are on track. He's growing this people that he's made good promises to. And yet Exodus tells us that Egypt's response to Israel's fruitfulness, this community growing, is all too familiar and all too terrible. See, the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, looks at this ethnic minority, the people of Israel, sees them growing and growing, and he responds in an all too familiar way. He responds with fear. And he starts playing on ethnic stereotypes, stereotypes that people are always tempted to apply to outsiders. He looks at the people of Israel and he says, maybe they don't really belong here. Maybe they actually hate us. Maybe if our enemies wage war against us, they'll join their side. And armed with these stereotypes, this king of Egypt embraces an all too familiar form of wisdom he looks to the people and he says, let's deal shrewdly with this ethnic outsider problem. Let's, let's deal wisely with these ethnic outsiders. Let's oppress them. Let's oppress them so that we can use them to build our own kingdom, but so that they will be too pushed down to be a threat to our way of life. And so Pharaoh puts taskmasters over the Israelites. He enslaves them in forced labor, and he forces them to build storage cities for himself so he can continue to accrue power and privilege. Now, the response of the Israelites under this oppression is that they just keep growing. They just keep multiplying. And yet the text tells us that the Egyptians make their lives very bitter with harsh service. 
And we might be wondering, where is God in all this? I'm sure that God's people in Egypt were wondering, where is God in all this? We were given huge promises and now we're suffering. And I'm sure they wonder that even more when in Exodus 1, Pharaoh turns up the heat. And because his plan of oppressing this ethnic minority to keep them under control doesn't work, he takes another step, genocide. And he calls two Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Puah, into his office and he says, look, you're there when these Israelite women give birth. Here's what I command you to do. Kill all the boys. We'll take care of this ethnic outsider problem through murder and through infanticide. And again, we assume that the Israelites would be wondering, where is God in all this? And the text's answer is as strange as it is bewildering and beautiful. Because in Exodus 1, God isn't uh, on the scene in the way that he will be later on, in power, uh, pillars of cloud and flame, in lightning and thunder. God isn't at the front of the stage in Exodus 1. No, God shows up first in the strangest of places, in the faith of these oppressed Israelite midwives who the text tells us fear God. And because they fear God, they refuse the command of the most powerful man on the planet, the king of Egypt, and they allow the Israelite boys to live. Because of their faith, because of their God-fearing, they protect the lives of these innocent. And Pharaoh gets mad and calls him back in the office and says, what are you doing? Why are you letting him live? And we see that these midwives aren't just God-fearers, they're also wise as well. And as Renita Weems, a black womanist scholar, points out, they use Pharaoh's own ethnic stereotypes against them. They say, well, you know, these Israelite women aren't like our women. By the time we get there, they've already given birth. And they lie to this most powerful man in order to protect the lives of these children. And how is God on the scene in Exodus 1? In the faith of these Israelite women, but also in responding to that faith. God sees what they do, and it's good to him. And because of their God-fearing, because of their courage, he gives them families of their own. Now, at the end of Exodus 1, Pharaoh again turns up the heat. He says, now everybody in Egypt is responsible for killing the Israelite children. And we'll have to wait till next week in chapter 2 to discover how God will come on the scene to address this new stage of violence. But I want to leave you this week with this picture of the women, of God showing up first in their God-fearing faith and courage. So this week, here's what I'd encourage you to do. Take some time, read Exodus 1, and then think about where are the places in your life where you wonder, where is God in all of this? Where is God in this situation? And I want you to consider, how does God showing up in Exodus, in the God-fearing faith of these marginalized women, willing to risk their lives for the sakes of others, how does that speak to our own places where we sense God's absence? Talk about that with your friends, talk about that with your kids, talk about that with your family, and then come back next week as we return to Exodus 2. See you soon. Thank you.